Amen, amen. It's a good time to be alive. It's a good time to be the church of Jesus Christ in this world today. Amen? It really is. I know sometimes it looks bleak out there, but you and I did not arrive on this scene today by accident. You are not here because of a choice your parents made or didn't make. You'll catch that later. You are here by God's design. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that was not by you. That was by the Spirit of God in you. He chose you at this time to be his, to belong on this earth, to be his church in this time. He is seeking and saving that which is lost. He is restoring his church as the place that the visible presence of God is present on this earth today. And he intends for us as the church to be those people who show all the nations this is what it looks like when Jesus is the center of our lives. Amen? This is what he came to seek and save. So in our series, Pursuit, we've been doing a little fun thing along the way to help us uh, get in the spirit of pursuit. We've had a treasure hunt. We had an Elvilla our first week, Middleothian this past week. So we had a treasure that we hid. We handed out clues that were from Scripture. And you were to look up those clues, find some key words, and find the location of the treasure that was hidden in Middleothian. So uh, if you look them up this week, the key words were onward, nature, cedar, little, and sign. So uh, check out this video that shows you where the treasure was hidden in Middleothian. That's the park here in Midlothian. The other clues were cedar, sign, and little. So when you start walking on the trail, you come across a cedar tree and a sign that is little. And on the back of that sign is our vertical treasure box. So it has the QR code inside. So thanks to all those who played this week. We'll be ready for this next week for a new game in Waxahachie. We'll see you then. All right, so when you get there and you use your phone and take a picture of the QR code or put your phone on the QR code, it takes you to a link and you enter in your name. The first week we had 26 who entered in their name for a drawing that we'll do at the end of the series. So each time you play, you get to enter your name another time, so one time per week per family. We had 20 this past week who made it out to Midlothian. So uh, way to go, not as many as the first week. The treasure gets a little bit more complex. It has already been hidden for today. It is in place and it is in Waxahachie. So uh, you'll have to do a little bit of searching. All of these have been prep work because today and this week, it's a little bit more complex, all right? Not as many verses and a little bit more difficult hiding place. So for all you treasure hunters out there, make your way out to go see that and see if you can find that. Remember, it is a little metal box with a magnet on the back. So that ought to tell you that it's gonna be hidden on something. Man, y'all are good, you're good. Yeah, some people would ask and say, I looked on a tree and I didn't find it. It's a magnet, it's in a metal box, it's gonna be on something. There you go, good. Make sure you're using the New King James Version of Scripture whenever you're looking. If you don't use New King James, if you just decide to go alone and go on NIV, whatever it might be, you will not get the same word clues. So make sure you're using a New King James Version. So, on to our series, Pursuit, our message for today. So, God has always had a people on the planet that he has called to be his people, to be the ones who would live with him at the center of their lives. Jesus called his disciples 
to even pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was in and taught, taught his disciples and teaches us to be in pursuit of living in such a way that the kingdom is present here on earth to shape our marriages in such a way that Jesus is Lord of them, to shape our homes in such a way that Jesus is the center of them, to be a church that Jesus is the head of, amen? As we do all of that, we begin to live with Jesus at the center and we become a message, a light. We become salt. We become a beacon to the world that says, this is what it looks like for the kingdom to be on earth. This is what Jesus calls us to. God blessed Abraham in the Old Testament. He said, I'm gonna bless you so that you might be a blessing to the nations. And God has done the same for us. He calls us and he has filled us, his church, with his spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then the spirit of God is in you, amen? He's with you permanently fixed within you. And the spirit that's in you is in me, is in her, is in him here in this body and all believers. And the spirit of God has a purpose. And the spirit of God has a pulse. And he is alive and he is speaking and he has the same interest that Jesus had. And that interest is to seek and save that which is lost. And you sense it within you because you sense it when the world is not as it should be. You sense it when members on your family are not in line with God's ways, are not saved, because the spirit within you longs for them to know that same kind of life. And we actually experience our greatest fulfillment, our greatest joy, when we agree and align ourselves with that. Your greatest fulfillment is not gonna be in you having a financially successful career alone. Your greatest fulfillment will not be in having a nice house and cars. Your greatest fulfillment will not be in having things always go your way. Your greatest fulfillment will be when you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then all the things will be added to you. And God has put us together as a church for that purpose. And we're called to do that regardless of the response. There'll be some who will hear the message that we have as the church. They will hear the gospel and they will respond. They'll hear the word of God and they'll respond. And when they do, with humility and joy, we celebrate and we keep going and we keep making disciples because that's what Jesus called us to do. But if the world says, we don't wanna hear your message, we don't like your message, we keep doing what we are called to do. We still keep going and we still keep making disciples. When the world says, we hate you, we still keep going and we still keep making disciples. When the world says, we want you to be quiet, we still keep going and we still keep making disciples, amen? When they wanna cancel us, we still keep going and we still keep making disciples because what we do is based on what Jesus says to us and not what the world says in response to us, amen? This is our directive as the church. We do what Jesus says regardless of what the world wants to throw at us, whether they wanna cancel us or shame us or cut us off or try to legally stop us from meeting, we will not because we are called to be the gathered church of Jesus Christ, amen? Our message today is called, I will not be shamed or canceled.
Amen? This is a different day in which we live today. This is a day in which the church must, must understand what it's called to be and do. Where we must clearly understand what Jesus has said to us and how we live this faith out. This is not the day to pull back, to withdraw, to run, to hide, to cower, to blend in, to try to match their message, to try to go along, to get along. That's not what this day is. This day is different. This day is different than the 2000s. This day is different than the 90s. This day is different than the 80s. This day is different than the 70s. It's not the same anymore. And the church must be on the forefront of doing what Jesus calls us to do in this day. We must be the voice of truth. The New Testament says we are the pillar and the ground of truth. Today we're gonna hear from one of the greatest leaders in the New Testament and what he had to say about his position in his day. So turning your Bibles to Romans chapter one. The apostle Paul is the man. He is the one who's writing in Romans one. Let me give you a little bit of uh, background here. Paul is writing to believers who are in Rome. And Rome at the time is a powerful city. Rome at, at the time is a city filled with many different religions many different idols, many different gods. In fact, hundreds of gods and idols and temples. There's, a, there's an idol and a temple on every store. They're kind of like gas stations and Mexican food restaurants in our area, right? There's a lot of them, which I'm glad for. The Mexican food restaurants is what I'm talking about. So they're everywhere. And so in Rome, that's the way it is. They're, they're everywhere. And it's kind of politically, socially accepted to visit these temples, pay homage to these idols, to join in the sacrifices, and to even have as many as you can and want. You can visit this temple, you can visit this temple, you can offer sacrifices here, you can offer sacrifices here. You can be a part of the grotesque, sexual, immoral activity that goes on at that temple and you would be socially accepted. You can be a part of the bloody child sacrifices offered at that temple and you would be socially accepted. If you were involved in that religious practice, it was just socially acceptable as long as your religion and your idol did not hurt anybody's feelings or get in the way of someone else's religious ideas. Or as long as you included the emperor in your worship. So it was kind of socially accepted. But that posed some real issues for followers of Jesus. Because followers of Jesus recognize that there is one God, not hundreds of gods, amen? Followers of Jesus know that Jesus is the one sacrifice who atoned for sin. And we don't go to temples and places to give sacrifices, to earn favor with God. Jesus gave us favor with God through his sacrifice for us. Amen? 
And so followers of Jesus say, I can't go along with all this stuff, all these idols and temples. I can't go along with this idea of having to somehow give some, some homage to the emperor and, and, and bowing down to him like I bow down to the other gods. I just can't do all of that. I can't just say all these religions are okay. I can't just say all these gods are okay. I can't just say all these activities are okay. I just can't do that because my faith in God tells me something very, very different. So this posed some real issues for Jesus followers in the day. Jesus followers knew there was only one way to the Father. Jesus followers knew that all gods were false gods. Jesus followers knew it was a sin to give any kind of worship to a man. Jesus followers knew there was only one true church, one baptism, one Lord, and one God, and that put Jesus followers in a very awkward spot in their day. Because now they stood out. Now they wouldn't go along to get along. Now they were gonna face persecution, canceling, and being shamed because they believed in one God. And it's in this that the Apostle Paul writes, and he tells us something about his stance on this. Romans 1, verse 16, we begin today, and the Apostle Paul says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This gospel is different than any other God's message. This gospel says there's one God. This gospel says man has sinned. This gospel says there's one savior. This gospel says we receive him by faith. This gospel calls me to repent. This gospel calls me to walk in the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to look funny in the social cultural setting. I'm not afraid to stand out. Paul uses this word here, ashamed. It means to be embarrassed, to hide, to withdraw, to pull back, to feel insecure about yourself in a setting and just go along so that you don't get called out or embarrassed. I remember when I was in ninth grade, I was five foot four. I was, I was little. Ninth grade, five foot four. I'm going to Sunset High School and I get picked on a lot. I'm the little guy. So there was lots of freshman initiation things and I was always the guy that got taken for that. They had this thing where they would hold you up, make you kiss the bison that was this actual bison head at sunset there. And I was terrified of that. So I never even went down the front hallway because I did not want to be picked up and hoisted up and made to kiss that gross bison head on the wall. So I lived in fear of that. And then an unusual thing happened between my ninth grade year and my 10th grade year. I went from 5'4 to 5'10. It was a lot in one summer. And so my parents bought me some shoes and they're size 12. And it looks funny on a boy growing from 5'4 to 5'10 to have size 12 shoes. It just looks weird. I felt like a clown and my pants, they don't ever keep up because I'm growing so fast. So I've got really short, short, short pants and really long feet. And I am embarrassed. I am ashamed of myself. And so I'm doing everything I can to hide myself in that public arena. I don't want anybody to see my feet. So I'm going to sit at the lunch table longer than anybody else. I'm going to stay at my desk longer than anybody else. 
I'm gonna sit at the drafting table in drafting class with my feet crossed and stay there until everybody else leaves so I don't have to be seen with my feet and my short pants. Now, the awkward thing was I was in band. And so you're sitting in your chair in band and I'm playing the clarinet. It's awkward because your pants are short and your bozo feet are sticking out there. It's just, I'm just embarrassed. I'm ashamed of that all the time. So I'm trying to hide myself. That feeling of shame of wanting to hide away and you're embarrassed or things that happen in your life and you don't want anybody else to know about it. This is the word that Paul uses here. He says, I am not afraid, insecure, embarrassed, or ashamed of saying that this gospel Though it goes against the cultural norm, this gospel is the truth. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not, I'm not gonna hide. I'm not gonna pull away. I'm not gonna be worried about what other people think about me. It may cause me to be canceled. It may cause me to bear some public offense. But Paul says, this Jesus has changed my life. I'm not in this just because I wanna be a religious warrior. Paul said, this Jesus has changed me and I will boldly proclaim this message of the gospel. So these believers in Paul's day faced a problem because they'd heard and knew the words of Jesus that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. People were saying there's a lot of ways to God, and Paul said, no, there's only one way to God. People were saying, well, look, I mean, everybody can do what they want. They should be able to be free to do their own thing, and Paul would have to say, you can be free to do that, but I'm telling you, there's one way to God. People would say, well, I mean, that's, that's your truth. I heard that before. That's your truth, Paul. We have our truth. Look, there can't be two, two truths. There's one truth and then different opinions. There's only one truth. Don't be deceived by what the world is saying today. Don't be deceived by that line that you have a truth and they have a truth and they have a truth and they have a truth. No, there's either truth that is one or there's truth that is none. There's either one way or there's no way. And if Jesus says there's only one way, then that's the only way. You can't go through other religions to get to God. You have to go through Jesus. He is the only way. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, the culture today is really confused about a lot of things about truth. They want to say that truth is whatever they want it to be. I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Walsh or the Daily Wire. If you are not, you should jot that down. Daily Wire, find it on social media, find it on a website, download the app. Matt Walsh is one of the leaders of that organization. And they believe in truth. And Matt Walsh is beginning to put out, and the organization Daily Wire is beginning to put out good movies and documentaries based on truth. So he just put together this documentary called, What is a Woman? 
Now, if you wanna get some strange answers today, you just start asking around, especially people that are in the culture and of the world and not of faith, but sometimes even of faith, sadly. Just ask for a definition of what is a woman. And people find it hard to actually give an answer for that. You watch that documentary and see what you discover. Matt Walsh interviewed lots of folks across the country and around the world about what is a woman. And it's odd that there's a group of people out there who want to be so progressive today that you have a truth, I have a truth, they have a truth, they have a truth, everybody's truth is their truth and they should be able to do whatever they want. I shouldn't have to say uh, you can't do that or that that's not true or that that's not right. That group out there has no definition for what a woman is. And that's a pretty important question to answer in this day and time. There is truth. There is one truth or there is no truth at all. And the gospel is based on truth. It's interesting what the enemy has done because if you can convince a culture that there is no such thing as truth and truth is whatever you want it to be, you can say you're a, you can be born a male, say you're a woman. You can be born a woman and say you're a male penguin. And the world has to accept you for that today. There are schools in our land, here in America, that if a child says, I am a cat, they are required to address them as a cat and allow them to carry on their cat behavior. You think I'm fooling, I can tell. I'm not. That is how far the culture is moving. The pronoun war is on today. And if you address someone by the wrong pronoun, you will get canceled. If you do it as a student in a school, if you do it in the workplace, you do it in the culture space, you run the risk of being canceled because you are so dogmatic to believe that there is one singular truth, that either someone is a man or a woman, and not any other version of that. Hello, are you with me? The gospel calls us to this singular truth. There is one truth. The world wants to say, well, true for you, but not for me. The world wants to say, hey, you do you. Sounds like a cool phrase. It couldn't be further from the gospel truth. You do you, oh, so you get to choose what reality is, you get to choose what truth is, you get to choose the way you want to live and just deny truth altogether. The minute you buy into that, you just dismiss the gospel. You do you says, I don't need a gospel. You do you says, I don't need to repent. You do you says, I can just live like I want to and it doesn't matter. That's what the culture says today. You do you, true for you, not for me, to each his own. Every person has their own truth. All religions lead to heaven. Wrong. There is one way to the Father and that's through Jesus the Son. So it really brings us to have to answer some questions that as the church, we must come to some conclusions on today or we will blend right into them and have no distinction and lose our light, lose the truth and the power of the gospel.
because Paul would go on and say this in this next part of this verse. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Paul says there's one way that people are changed, transformed, that salvation happens, and it is through the power of God in the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that truth because that truth is what changes people. So let's talk for just a moment this morning about uh, power to change. It's a pretty important question. What is it that will cause a person to change? How does a person change? How does the change for him uh, individually? What's the power that changes a family? And what's the power that even changes a culture? How do you bring about that change? There are those today who would say that the way to this kind of change is through enforcing new laws. Trying to enforce laws to change people's behavior is like trying to tell your five-year-old to sit down when he doesn't want to sit down. And he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the minute someone puts a rule up and says, do this or don't do this, there's something in you that says, I'm going to do it anyway. Hello? Yeah? Yeah. Often it's called a speed limit sign, right? And you want to do just the opposite of whatever that is. But the Apostle Paul says, look, there is one thing that has the power to change people. And this one thing is so significant and so important that the church must never let go of this essential element. And it is the gospel truth. You ever heard anyone use that phrase? They say, well, I'm telling you this right now, and this is the gospel truth. Yeah, you've heard that, right? I have too. And I understand people use it, but I'm gonna tell you today, this is important for us as the church because the gospel is truth. And if we fold on this matter, we've lost it all. If we fold on this matter, our day is done. Let me remind you of what the gospel truth is. The gospel truth is that there is a God. In fact, there is one God. There are not many gods. They're not gods of your choosing. And in case you have not caught on yet, you are not him. You are not the one who gets to make the decisions. There is one God who is the creator of all things. He is the one who made us. He is the one who reigns in heaven. He is the one who has all of the answers. He is the one who is holy and just. He is the one who will consume all things and restore all things in himself to, in a day to come. He is the one who will reign forever and ever. He is the one who existed forever and ever. There is one God. Amen? Second element of this gospel is that this God, his way is holy. He has a way that we were intended to live. 
and he gets to make the rules because he created us. You don't get to come along and make up your own rules because you didn't create you. You don't get to come along and choose your own path because you didn't make you. You don't get a chance to look at his word and dismiss it and say, I'll pick and choose because you didn't come up with it. It's not from you, it's from him. And the one who made it gets to choose the way it all plays out. Amen? He gets to choose the path. He gets to choose what's right. He gets to declare what's holy because he is holy and he is the one who chooses it. He has a way that he has created men. He has a way that he has created women. He has a way that he has created marriage to be. He has a way that children are meant to be trained up in a family. He has a way that we are meant to relate to one another. He has a way that we are meant to relate to him. He has a way that we are to relate to one another and live our lives like Jesus. He has a way. You don't get to just pick and choose what parts of it you like or don't like or want or don't want. It's his way. He's really the only one that can say, my way or the highway. Because he made it. He owns it. It's from him. It's all in him. It's him. There's one God. His way is holy. And we have violated that way. Paul would write and say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the intended way. We were created to know his glory, to walk in his ways, but we have sinned. Everybody has. All have sinned. There is none righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. We have violated his ways. This is important to recognize because the culture today wants to say, no, you don't get to tell me there's a right and a wrong. You can't tell me there's truth and a lie. The only thing that's true is what I want. And if I feel a certain way, that's my truth and I can do what I want. And this makes them then right in their own eyes. Everything that the culture wants to do, they say, no, I'm right. But what you're doing is hurting other people. It doesn't matter. I'm right. Well, what you're doing is against God's ways. It doesn't matter. I'm right because this is what I feel. And whatever I feel is my truth. But the Bible is clear that we have violated his ways. And this puts us in a bad spot. Man is in need of redemption, of being saved, of having a change come into his life. His ways are turned against God's ways. His natural appetites and desires are not good. You are born separated from God. You are born with natural urges, the Bible calls your flesh, that are against God's ways. You and I are naturally in our own self before we were saved, we're naturally selfish, cruel, mean, demanding, hateful, greedy, lustful, wanting our own way. That's the natural order of man. But every one of those violates the way of God. We've fallen short of that glory. 
that he intended for us to know and to live. Therefore, God sent his son as savior. God was not out to condemn man, but to save man. Man already stood condemned. We were already guilty. We were already deserving of hell. We we're already deserving of judgment. And apart from Jesus Christ, that's where you are. But God sent his son so that we may have life and have it more abundant. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life so that he wouldn't have to live in the violated judging or judgment period. He wouldn't have to live in a continual judgment before God in condemnation in himself. And God sends his son and Jesus comes and he lives before the world sinless. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus comes and he knows what you deal with. He knows what you have borne. He knows what you have hidden. He knows what you carry. And he has come to free you from that so that you might have peace with God, so that you might have redemption for your life, so that there might be purpose, that there might be restoration, that there might be joy, that there might be forgiveness, that you might walk forward with the confidence of knowing I have been made right with God. This is why Jesus comes. He comes to give life. And the Bible says that for all of those who would believe, for those who repent, in other words, they turn from their old ways and follow Jesus, who begin to live their life in pursuit of him, seeking him, trusting him, believing him, they experience life. They begin to learn to walk in his ways. They become disciples. They're followers. And this is the gospel truth. And this is what you and I as believers and the church, this is cornerstone for us. This is central to us. We cannot yield on any part of this. We cannot bow to the world on any part of this. We can't yield and say, well, maybe there are some other gods. Maybe he's not so holy. Well, maybe you haven't been that bad. Well, maybe there's other ways to salvation. Or maybe there's another way besides following Jesus. We cannot yield on any of those. If we yield on any of those, we're done as a church. We're done in this world. Because Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For this, this is the power of God to salvation. This is what changes people's lives. When you recognize there is one God and he is holy, he made me. I have violated his ways. I have fallen short. My guilt and my shame and my the pressure and the condemnation and the fear inside me tells me I have violated his ways 
and I must come to him and I repent of my ways and I follow Jesus. This is the truth that changes a life. This is essential for us. We're not here to play games on Sunday mornings. We're not here to play games anytime as vertical church. Amen? This, this is serious. Paul, Paul hung everything on this. And he says, I'm not ashamed of this. I'm not going to hide from this. I'm not going to hide this from anyone else. Because the gospel is what changes people's lives. Admitting and conforming to the truth. Truth. Dismiss truth and this goes away. Hang on to truth, the gospel truth, and lives are changed. The person who is walking in addictions, the person who's walking in gender confusion, when they come to the reality and say, there is one God, his way is holy, I have violated that way, and the, I recognize that Jesus has come to heal me and free me, and I repent of my ways and follow Jesus, that changes a person's heart and life. That is truth. Truth is what changes a life. And if the culture, you can see why the enemy is so insistent on getting a culture to dismiss truth. Because the minute you dismiss truth is the minute you dismiss all of this. And the gospel calls us to be bold, just as Paul was. He said, I'm not ashamed of this. I know I'm going to stand out in the culture. I know this is going to mean I'm going to get canceled. And he did. I know this could cost me my life. And it did. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to be canceled by it. I'm not going to be threatened by it. I'll stand boldly in it and I'll proclaim it because it's true. I have grace. I have mercy. But he says, I have unashamed boldness as well. Because this, for Paul, he knew, and you and I have to know this as well. This can be offensive to people. You tell somebody God has a way and it's his way, not their way, they'll be offended. They'll be angry. They'll be upset. But one thing we have to remember is the church. Please do not buy the lie that being offended is the worst possible sin. You know that's what is the greatest sin today in the world is offending someone. Being offended is the greatest hurt. Well, that offends me that you would say that. That offends me that you would believe that. That offends me that you would say those things. Look, being offended is part of the process of being a believer. It, hearing that there's one God and I have violated his ways and I'm a sinner, that's offensive. Hello? It hurts. It hurts for me to hear, but the right response is for me to humble myself and change. You and I can't get all bent out of shape the day we get offended by somebody. We gotta stop doing that because that's what the culture is totally bought in on. 
That's their go-to language the minute they, they hear you say something they don't like. Well, that offends me. Look, the gospel is gonna be offensive. The gospel is gonna cause some uncomfortableness. Jesus said that there would be offenses, that they would come. It doesn't mean you and I have to be arrogant and cruel and rude, but we can be merciful. We can be gracious, but we must be bold and speak the truth. First Peter says, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, Jesus. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. People were offended at Jesus. People were offended at Paul. And the gospel will be offensive. But we must stand bold against those who would cry out against us. The culture today... They want to have their way and they want to be celebrated for their way. You realize what this month is, right? It's the full arrogance against God month. They call it pride month because they're boasting in their truth that they believe they are right and God is wrong. That's what this is. And I'll just remind you what scripture says twice in the New Testament. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There will be no change for the person who keeps boasting about their pride. They will be brought low, however. I'm not saying that, that's what the Bible says. Now I'm saying it because that's what the Bible says. This is where the culture has come. This is not the time for the church to say, well, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe there's just some stuff I don't know yet. Come on, God has revealed his truth to us in his word. It's all revealed, it's all there. There's a plenty we know. Don't fall for that lie. Don't fall for that deception. Don't fall for that guilting. Don't fall for that shaming. Paul said, I am not ashamed of this truth. This is the gospel truth. And if we, as the church, are gonna make a difference in the culture today, it won't be because we go along to get along. It won't be because we say, oh, you poor things. It won't be because we coddle them and pat them on the back and say, well, come on anyway. Look, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Anybody is welcome in these doors back here. But when you come here, you're gonna hear the message of Jesus Christ that says, there is a God, in fact, there's just one God. His way is holy. We have violated that way and God sent his son so that we might be, have redemption and salvation through him and that those who repent and follow Jesus will have life and we will call you to repentance. That's what we're called to as the church. Now, this was very well known in the New Testament era. The new believers that followed Paul and others in the New Testament era, they understood this. And they understood the importance of the gospel truth. And they understood that even as a church, they had to hold to some truth. They couldn't, they couldn't yield, they couldn't compromise. They welcomed all who came, but they spoke truth to all who came and they called them out of their sin and into Jesus. 
In 1 Corinthians, we read about a time when the church in Corinth had forgotten some of that, to put it lightly. In fact, they, they thought they were really doing well by allowing people inside the church membership, if you will, to be living in known sin within the church. Now, let me just say up front, I understand. Nobody who came through those doors this morning is perfect. We're all walking out our faith and there are areas we are still struggling in our faith and there are areas that we still sin sometimes. Amen? I'm raising my hand because that's me. That's all of us. But there's a difference between someone struggling in an attitude sin or a heart sin and someone practicing outwardly that sin. I know you'd say, well, I thought all sin was sin before God. It is, but you tell me, would you rather have someone think some bad thoughts about you or come up and stab you with a knife? Hello, they're different. I'd rather have someone hate me than come up and hate me so much they stab me with a knife, right? Those are different sins. Hello? They're different. And in a public setting and within the church, we're all at different places, but there are things that must be addressed if they are known within the church body. The church in Corinth struggled with that. So just, just listen along with me. If you want to follow along, you can. I'm in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul wrote and he said, he said, uh, hey guys, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Paul said, I got some word about some stuff going on within the church. He said, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, those outside. And he went out and said what it is. He said, he said, there's a man who has his father's wife. So there's a man who remarries and he's got a woman and the son and that woman are hooking up. And it's known in the church. And it's kind of not only just known, but it's celebrated like, dude, look how progressive we are. Look how cool we are. Look how forward we are. Paul goes on and he says, and you, you're puffed up and you've not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who's done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you were gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, look, this is serious. Truth is truth. And you cannot yield on this. And you cannot allow open immorality to exist within the church. Truth is central. And if we compromise on truth, we've lost it all. And he said, when the next time you get together, you need to address this. And if this man will not repent and this woman will not repent, you need to see that they are confronted so that they would repent. But if they will not, they need to be removed until they will. You need to practice some discipline until they repent of what they are doing so that the church might be true. Amen? 
Paul goes on. He says, your glorying is not good. It's not good that you think you're progressive. I want to jump down to verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle or letter not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Listen carefully. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters since you would need to go out of the world to do that. He says, I recognize you're gonna live amongst people who are living in open sin. He says, I realize you can't get away from that. To do that, you'd have to go outside the world. Verse 11, but now I have written to you, listen carefully, not to keep, where's my place? Not to keep company with anyone named a brother, another person of faith, who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, uh, fighter, obstinate, uh, or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Paul says, this is how serious sin is. This is how serious truth is. If you know of someone within the body, Paul says, and they are refusing to repent, they've been confronted in their sin and they refuse and they keep refusing and they keep refusing. He said, you have to do the work of pulling back so that they might repent of their sin. Truth must be held to. Paul goes on. And he says, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, that is a passage that many churches don't want to preach about because that could drive down membership that could be uncomfortable. We're not here to drive up membership. We're not here to make people comfortable. We're here to proclaim the gospel truth. And this we hold to. And this we do our best to practice here. And we attempt to do so even though at times it may be offensive even though at times it may be uncomfortable. But our comfort is not what's on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. And we must hold to the gospel truth. This is why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not gonna cower I'm not gonna pull away. I'm not gonna be embarrassed like I was of my feet and my pants. I am gonna boldly hold to the gospel truth because only in the truth is there the power to change a person, a family, and a culture. When you agree with, align with, and act on truth, it will change your life.
So I would say to you today, maybe you're here and you've not heard this gospel message before and this is all new. I welcome you, one, two, there is a Savior, as we've attempted to describe, who has come for you to be free so that you could know forgiveness, so that you could know peace, so that you could know what it is like to have Jesus reigning in you. I encourage you, cry out to him. I encourage you to receive him, to repent and to follow him. But I'd also say to us just as members, as believers, let us be fixed today at a time when truth is being eradicated from our world. Let us be those that hold to it, no matter the cost, no matter what might come our way, no matter what shame or reproach or threats of canceling might come against us. Let us be like the Apostle Paul who said, I am not ashamed and I will not be canceled from this truth because this truth alone has the power to change our world. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, today our hearts are broken for what's happening in our world to see such a rapid pace that immorality is increasing and truth is being dismissed and you are being rebelled against and the nations are turning to their own way and there's sin on top of sin on top of sin being heaped up God I'd ask you you would Give us great boldness and courage to stand in our day. Help us to stand unashamed, bold, like a lion, ready to proclaim, ready to announce, and ready to shout to the world that there is salvation in none other than Jesus. There is no salvation in chasing your own lusts and greed. There is no salvation in trying to go your own way. There's no salvation in trying to chase after other gods. There is salvation by one and by one name alone, and that is our Lord Jesus. And so we choose today to be the church and proclaim this truth and pursue all that has been lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.